All scripture uh, this morning is from Matthew chapter 15. And if you have your bulletins, it's there. Matthew chapter 15, verses 16 to 28. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord. Help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you've been with us for the last uh, few weeks, you've known that we've been um, going through the scriptures and talking about Jesus as the, uh, the Christ of Christianity, which um, seems real simple, except for the fact that we miss him a lot. And uh, we start talking about all the things we're going to do in the kingdom and all the great things that uh, exist in the world, like uh, doctors uh, that uh, do amazing healings in the name of Christ and, um, and counselors who do the same and all these uh, wonderful things. And we forget sometimes how important and central Jesus is to them all. And it's no different. Uh, this week, this week, we're going to uh, talk about Jesus and uh, pursuing justice for the alien. And I use that term on purpose um, because, A, uh, the scripture uses it in the Old Testament a lot. And B, because it's a little unnerving. And if you've just heard this passage, it should be a little unnerving. This is one of those weird stories when I haven't always been one who trusts the scriptures as uh, God's word to us. Uh, I used to think that they were fables and, um, and such. And uh, I, as a good skeptic, I thought, well, this is one of the clear places where the Bible needs some moral help. That the Bible needs to be adjusted and maybe Jesus needed to learn something or other. Uh, I was not a very good reader in those days, uh, but, um, but, uh, that past, that thought still comes to mind, um, uh, when we talk about this, this foreigner, this alien, this Canaanite woman from, uh, Tyre and Sidon. So what I want to do, because this is one of those weird stories that makes you feel like you're reading an ancient text, I want to make sure we got the story down. We'll tell the story, and then I want to kind of deal with the shock factor, because there's some, there's some shocking things in here. 
And then uh, I want to talk about Jesus and his relationship to that. So, um, so story, shock, savior, three S's. Like that? Story starts really um, not in 16 where, where uh, it starts the reading, but actually in 21. 16, I gave you a little bit of back story on purpose, and we'll get to that in a second. But the passage actually starts with leaving that place. Jesus is continuing his ministry. This is the 15th chapter of Matthew. And as we back up a little bit, what's happened here is Jesus has started his ministry um, uh, within his Jewish culture and in, in uh, synagogues around town. And uh, he goes back home. To, to, and uh, at the end of chapter 13, the Bible said that he was a prophet that uh, is dishonored in his own land. You've probably heard that phrase uh, before. Um, uh, at the beginning, so that's chapter 13, the beginning of 14. Um, John the Baptist is killed by Herod the Tetrarch. John the Baptist is killed by Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch is the Jewish, Jewish ruler over that region. Tetrarch means a quarter. So they had four guys, uh, uh kind of, um, overseeing four regions. And so he's a Jew, he's a Jew, and he kills John the Baptist. Just after that, Jesus feeds 5,000. It's kind of on a desolate plain, uh, the, the, uh, right by the water where he was out there and there was nothing to eat. And so he feeds these 5,000 Jews on a desolate plain. From that point on, he goes in and he's, uh, goes right from there onto that water and he starts to walk on that water at some point. And, um, uh, Peter comes in and he tries to do the exact same thing, gets a couple steps, takes his eyes off of Jesus and, uh, and Jesus and falls into the water and Jesus goes, Peter, why have you doubted? You ologopistos, you of little faith. Actually, it's you little faither. Uh, uh, you little faither. Um, you, you don't have much faith here. Keep on going, and then there's this encounter, which you get the tail end of, uh, right here, where I gave to you 16 through 20. And what you have is this argument. Jesus is not following the law, and I've used a little L here, law, or the tradition of the, of the Pharisees to wash his hands before he eats. Now, as laws go, in an H1N1 world, that's not the worst thing in the world to have as a law, but it's certainly not a moral law, right? And so he has this back and forth and he's like, you guys keep worrying about all these traditions and laws and this kind of cultural norm. That's not what's at stake here. There's other things. And that's where you get all that stuff about how, um, how, uh, how that there are, uh, that it's not the things that uh, you put in your mouth, but the things that come out of your heart that may, that come out of your mouth that are, are all kinds of wickedness and things that are going on inside of you. Uh, and so he kind of working against the law there. He even talks about how they have um, they have uh, nullified the word of God because they have done all the right things, but have been so far from him in heart. And who's the they there? It's his brothers and sisters, his fellow Jews, the religious Jews, like the ones who really should get it. And then verse 21, leaving that place. Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. The story. He leaves Israel and heads into Gentile land. He's going across the tracks to a different territory, place that Matthew calls Tyre and Sidon. Just in case you're wondering, Tyre and Sidon doesn't exist in that day. Matthew is purposely giving us a term of Tyre and Sidon to give us an ancient picture of it. Calls her a Canaanite, which also doesn't exist in the day. It's Roman held at this point. But her background is of the historic people of Tyre and Sidon and Canaan. 
given her family background. Like calling somebody a Prussian now or something like that. You know, where it doesn't really exist, but you get it uh, because of, uh, of, of, of what it, what did, where it did exist. And this woman comes up and she comes crying. Uh, this Canaanite woman looks, uh, the, the scripture describes her as very desperate. And she comes in and she says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering from a terrible demon possession. The scripture does something awesome next. If you keep reading, it says that Jesus did not say a word. And in the Greek, that's translated best. Jesus did not say a word. There's no nuance. It's just exactly how it works. He didn't say anything. Now, at first, you're reading through this, and you're like, oh, here Jesus goes again. He's going to make you wait. He's kind of got a little flair for the dramatic, you know, let the silence hit for a little while, and he's going to come up with something really great, you know? Just dumbfound everybody with incredible uh, talk or something like that, or, or do something like write in the sand, or tell a story that says, verily, verily, I say unto you, or something like that, you know? You're, 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 you're just ready for him to kind of pounce on this thing, and, and you get it before. We talked about Jairus' daughter before, and how he had to wait, uh, Jairus had to wait for his daughter to be healed and we talked uh, just a few weeks ago about how Lazarus waited for two days to be not just healed because by the time he waited too long to be healed he got resur- had to get resurrected remember so he likes that flair for the dramatic you know why heal when you can resurrect that's even better <laughs> but the disciples are not having it their eerie music might be coming up in the background or you know or whatever but the disciples are like please this woman will not leave us alone already they're like, their impatience is killing them and her persistence is killing them. His silence means that she's still crying out. And whether they just want to her stop bothering her or they want Jesus to actually heal her or whatever, you can't really tell. It seems like they're more annoyed than trying to be helpful or trying to help the woman out. But uh, Jesus, like, can, the, the disciples are like, please, Jesus, can you do something about this lady? She's loud and weepy and she's bugging us. So here's the time when Jesus speaks. Here's what you're ready for. Drum roll, please. He answered. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He responds with ethnocentricity. Kind of. He basically says, I'm a Jew and my mission is to the Jews. And I'm supposed to go after the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus asks... I mean, the woman asked, the Canaanite woman asked Jesus for help, and he answers with a finely tuned theological nuance. That's what he does. It's a finely tuned theological nuance. Now, as a person who is a semi-theologian by virtue of being a pastor, I think it's really cool to do finely tuned theological nuances. But as most of you know, if you come to me for help, you really don't want a the- finely tuned theological nuance, do you? You actually want to be like care of soul, maybe pray for you, show you a Bible verse, something like that. You don't really want, can you give me the history of redemption through the Jews as it, mo- as it moves forward in, uh, the, in the entirety of redemption history, right? Don't really looking for that that much. Wouldn't you just pay big money to be there right now? Wouldn't it be just great to see you kind of, you know, it's that George Costanza moment where you start getting those weird butterflies in your tummy because you're like, oh, this is awkward and awful and weird. You know what I'm talking about? Right before George talks or right after he talks. If you watch, yeah, never mind. Or Crazy Uncle Ed or whatever. But you're sure it's going to resolve soon. But the woman is persistent. You might call her a bulldog with lipstick or something like that. She has this incredible tenacity. 
And she's going after it. And she says, and she kneels before him and she says, Lord, help me. Screams, Lord, help me. And he, now Jesus has got her. Now's the drum roll. Now it's good. He's just late, making us wait too long. This is perfect. He, now she gets it. She's humbled. She's on her knees. She's, she's, she knows it's not just about her relationship with her daughter, but her relationship with him. It's bigger than that. So things they're understanding, they're clicking. Obviously Jesus has got her right where she wants, where he wants her. He's ready to tie it up and give a messianic landing of this thing and we're going to be ready to go. And he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Hey, you, you really didn't want that. You don't want it as a reader. Pretty sure she didn't want it. Culturally, dog is dog. Not a lot of help here. Female dog. Censorship is a good thing when all the things I was going to call this sermon. uh, (laughs) Starting with, did he just call her... And now you've moved straight from George Costanza all the way to Michael Scott, where it's just absolutely undone nerve wracking. You can barely take it anymore. It's just ridiculous. It's just stupefyingly stupid is what you're feeling. Unless Jesus is up to something, unless he's up to something. And here's one of those times where you read an ancient text and you read the Bible and you go, I really don't understand this stuff. You finally go, you know what? This is a several thousand year old text. I'm not sure how I get enter into this. Uh, the Bible to me reads very modern most of the time, but there's a couple passages that are just like, oh my goodness, this is an ancient Near Easterner talking to me and I have no idea what they're talking about. And this is one of those. This is one of those. And it's also really good for us because we have domesticated and tamed Jesus too much. And he will not be tamed. And he will not be domesticated. He will mess with your categories as he does hers. And as we find out, he does his disciples around him. So what are the shocks? There's the story. You got it. Calls her a dog. I'll get to the last part. That's the kind of good ending in a little bit. But what's going on? What are the shocks to you? I think I've kind of alluded to him in telling the story. But the first one is silence. Jesus didn't say a word and she kept crying. It's got to be a deafening silence to those guys who are there. But you can kind of halfway excuse it. This is more in the surprise, uneasy realm than a full-blown shock because because it could be like the goodwill hunting moment where Robin Williams just waits there for 45 minutes as, uh, uh, what's that guy's name? Matt Damon. Thank you very much. As Matt Damon is, 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 is in the counseling chair and it's just kind of this battle to see who'll talk first and, and that's how the session ends. And so you're kind of like, okay, I can get this. Um, but you're, you at least want him, if he's not talking, to like throw his arms around her, right? You know, and say, oh, well, tell me more about this, you know. Let's see if we, you know, maybe do some kind of quiet meditation that the healer or exorcist people might do. You know, something. You know, if he's not going to talk, something like that, you know. Go sit under a tree for a while or something like that. Um, that would be our first kind of level of shock, and we talked about that. The other one is this kind of Israel statement. This is, to our modern ears, very shocking. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Can I help you with something? Theologically, he's right. 
theologically he's right. I wish we had a paper that I could give you, uh, disperse a paper that David Speakman, right over there, wrote about, um, about the, um, the missionary zeal of Israel and the calling upon Israel itself to be light and salt in the world. It's not just a New Testament reality, but throughout the Old Testament, he explains how um, how uh, missionary or uh, evangelistic, if you will, that Israel is supposed to be, both of their placement in the, in the area, the scriptures that teach them and command them to do such, to be salt and light, a city on a hill, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, to be truly Israel is what they're supposed to be. He's actually come in a civil war to his own people, if you will, to enter into Israel and come and change and affect and work out there, them first. You know this story of Simeon? He's a Jew, 80-some years old. Jesus is about to be born. He's been waiting for a long time. And he says, and, and when Jesus comes into the temple... It's all very Jewish right now. He, he, um, he's been waiting for long and it says that uh, the glory of your people of Israel have entered. When Jesus comes in, he realized that uh, Jesus is Messiah, another Jewish term. And a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon was a Jew first. Romans 1.16, for the Jew first and also for the Gentiles. Now, for our hearing, that's a pretty good, pretty big shock. It's pretty ethnocentric. For their hearing, that's not that shocking. Okay? As an ancient Near Eastern. What's shocking is how Matthew starts. The genealogy of Jesus, where it's son of David, son of Abraham. This is all very Jewish, right? Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, right? We're all good. And then we get to Rahab. Where was Rahab? I know. Other side of the wall of Jericho, right? Canaanite woman, Right? Not only Canaanite, Canaanite woman, right? That's the shocker for them. Not just that, you keep on going and you have, uh, you, you have Ruth who comes, a Moabitess woman, celebrated, right? Those would be the shocking things. For the ethnocentricity, for, for us, is kind of, sh- uh, kind of shocking, but there's a purpose in that ethnocentricity and you would keep going through that. Jesus is called the King of Jews in, the Mary, in Mary's uh, terminology. He is... Uh, uh, um, in the in the eighth chapter of Matthew, the centurion, a Greek, has great faith. So the shocking parts aren't the Jew-centeredness of everything. The shocking parts for them would be that they're Greeks and that they're Gentiles involved at all. Now, if we take back the, 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 the take back that step, we go, oh, oh, oh. Being Jewish or being the, the redeemed people, lost being found, if you will, will then explode into a right relationship with everybody else and the gospel going forth to everybody else. But Jesus really did do that. Jesus was speaking to Jews only when he said, go out into all the world and preach, and, uh, uh, preaching, um, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and, to all the, and, and making disciples of all nations. You get it? Jews redeemed to be fully Jewish so that there'll be a city on the hill for others to come in. Preach unto the whole world. See, what Jesus is 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 a fulfillment of Israel's promise here. And that's what he's doing. But that's not the shockingest, shocking part for our modern ears. And you know what the one is. This dog. 
Now, there are scholars who have really tried to make this go down a little easier. There are some who have said, you see, the Matean tradition is growing in understanding. And by 15, Jesus has evolved morally enough to realize that his own mission is greater than just the Jews. That's unacceptable to me, especially because I just read to you a bunch of different stuff about how how uh, Gentiles were involved all the way in it. And I'm not really one to um, um, try to tell Jesus how he's not moral enough. There's that one. Um, but there are others who say, well, you see, and you can actually see it in the translation, their dogs. That's actually a translation. It's just dogs. But dogs has got like a little, like, it, the, the, the Greek has a little bit of thing like doggy. You know, it has a little, uh, like a, like a et, you know, or something like that. You know, like a, a homily, a homilet or something, you know, something really smaller, you know, like that. So it has this kind of little term of endearment at the end of it. And so they're trying to say they're dogs. Now, how much better do you feel? Okay, so now you're a pet. Okay, great, right? The problem is, is that they would, none of his apostles would have gone, thought anything of it. She is a Canaanite. She's from Tyre and Sidon. The last time you hear of those things are in Amos when God is judging them for their evil ways. She is an arch enemy of Israel. To call her a dog was completely normal back then. Now, it may not have been right as we know it, and certainly not by our moral code, and we'll see what Jesus is doing in a second. But to have done that would have been, I'm showing you the, dif- the difference between us and the distance between us. And it would have been acceptable to her ears. I think it's right for Jesus to do it. When I say right, as in the pattern of cultural speak, then wasn't. What Jesus is doing is very different. And that's why she doesn't disagree. Do you understand that? We are much more offended than she is. She says, yes, but. I'm not trying to. I really don't think it's that helpful. <laughs> that, this, this, that it's easier to swallow for our our uh, kind of moral understanding of the way things go. But you need to understand they would not think much of this one at all. They wouldn't. And she wouldn't either. She would not be offended like we are. <laughs> Seen that helpful? What would have been really offensive to his um, his apostles? What is when he said, I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. You know why? Because they're the lost ones. And you know what lost is? Lost is kind of a... It is used for like when you lose something. But it's also used uh, lost like lost at sea. Or lost like um, we lost them in the fire. Think about it like that. It's usually tied to death and destruction. So um, Herod is going to search the child to kill them. To lose them is the best is the same word used there. You know, back in, in Matthew when, when Jesus has to flee... If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Lose it. 
when uh, in Matthew 8, when they're about to drown with Peter, he says, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. We're going to be lost. Same term. I'm not it's these are right translations, but it's the same term that's being used. So you have this feel where the lost ones. What would have been shocking to the apostles is that Jesus told them that they were lost to the point of destruction. Now you start to see, oh, maybe the Canaanite Tyre Sidon is not that big of a difference between the apostles themselves, right? Because they were lost to the point of destruction. And he's pursuing them as almost dead people. So it's not so much, I've come to the place of Israel, to loss of Israel, who are you? It's, I gotta go save Israel because they're lost in a, a train wreck and they're about to die. You get the, the feel difference there? That would have been shocking and offensive to them. And the other thing that would have been shocking to them was when this Canaanite woman comes in and says, Lord, son of David. Why would that be wild? Because she's using completely Jewish Israel, uh, Old Testament language to describe Jesus. And nobody in Old in, 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 um, in, uh, in, that he just came from Jerusalem and, and uh, Jewish country, and nobody in Jewish country has actually used those terms yet. Or some have, but you know what I mean? He's been rejected. So it, he has to leave town to go to the Gentiles, who are not to be chosen first, not to be ministered to first, to get a perfectly Jewish title. Lord, son of David. Lord, son of David. Amazing. And the really offensive thing to the apostles would have been, woman, you have great faith. You get it. You get that there is distance between us, a death-destructive distance between even me and my own people. You get that you're second on the list of redemption that comes first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. You get it all and you won't stop because you know what kind of Lord I am. You know that I will pers- that, that, that I'm, my end game still is you. You know it and you'll keep coming. And he goes, oh my goodness, this is great. Look at this faith in this woman. What great faith. Only person, only two people in Matthew that describes having great faith are Gentiles. Everybody else is Elgabistoi. Little faithers. All the Jews are little faithers. And the, and the woman and the centurion, the warrior of Rome, uh, are the ones with great faith. So if you're going to lodge a complaint against Matthew about, you know, racism or ethnocentricity, you got to read the whole thing. You got to read the whole thing. And as you continue to read this whole thing, what's so amazing about this passage is that he leaves there. He leaves to uh, to Greek territory. He goes in there and just as he's fed the 5,000, he now goes and feeds 4,000 in the next chapter. And he's in Greek land, if you will. He's in Gentile land. And what was the complaint or the, 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 the question from the, the woman of great faith? Well, won't you just give us some scraps from the table? Yes, in fact, I will. Let me show you. I'm going to feed 4,000 of you. Right? I'm going to be your nourisher. You got to read the text. I mean, Matthew is a incredible storyteller. You got to read them all in there and together like that. What happens is he leaves town right before he feeds the 4,000. He says, and he starts healing all these people and he heals the exact same ways he's done before to the Jews. 
This is kind of the pivot point or one of the couple pivot points in Matthew, which says this gospel is for everybody. Do you remember uh, Ruth? Do you remember Rahab? Here's where it's coming right now. It's about to explode. It's an amazing story. The crumbs that fall from the master's table seem so offensive, but these crumbs are good enough. You know what? Not many of you are Jewish. I would say not many at all. I was going to say near one. Y'all dogs and so am I. Don't domesticate Jesus. Be a dog and eat well. That's it. Look, it's we're on this end. You know? We're the Syrophoenician woman in, in the Mark story. She's a Syrophoenician. We're the Canaanites. We're the pagans, the God haters who he's turned to himself. And so he's turned to himself to draw us to himself. So he is both Messiah, the Hebrew term for the one who's coming and Christ, the anointed one, a Greek term for the one who's come. He is both Messiah and Christ and nourisher for us. You get it? And that's what the Matthew's gospel does for us. It's a total Jewish audiences. So the little side jokes, the little things that are going on. Yeah, you can call them dogs. Now watch this. She has greater faith than you. Olga Pistoy, little faither. You get it? It's amazing. It's amazing. Yes, it's complex. Yes, this is one of those more difficult passages. I get it. I get it. But it's amazing, isn't it? Literarily, just the structure is unbelievable. Must be inspired or something. I don't know. He goes and feeds the 4,000, welcoming us to his table. (laughs) What does this have to do with alien, immigrant, all those things? Foreigner, lost, or the lost ones? We're both sides of this dilemma here. You know, Jesus was called the foreigner at one point. It was after he rose from the dead. He's on a road to Emmaus and he's walking along and there's the buzz in the city that this guy died and all this stuff. And these two guys are talking about all that's happened in Jerusalem and he comes up, uh, he's, he's walking along them and they're like, are you not, are you like a foreigner or something like that? Do you not understand what's been going on here in Jerusalem? And when do they figure out that it's him? Remember this? When he breaks bread, when he starts to feed them, when he becomes our nourisher, when he feeds the 4,000 or the two at that point. When he becomes the person who is both Messiah and Christ. Remember the part about him not following tradition? He was against the law. Jesus is our alien. Jesus is, and I say this in noun form, even though it's offensive, because it's a weird passage. Jesus is our illegal. Jesus is our foreigner. Jesus is the one who is lost. For us. And he's come to us and drawn us into a new humanity. And he's nourished us. He cares for us. He loves us. He's for us. And so, likewise, we do the same. I don't want to get into any legislation discussion whatsoever. I could, I'm not good with that stuff at all. National Association of Evangelicals just put out a great little paper. Read it, it's helpful. 
That's not the end all be all. But read it, it's helpful. I don't have a dog in the fight. Oh, that was a bad term when you just did all this. Um, I don't I don't have a way forward. We've talked about it. We did a Sunday school class on it. Talked about some Christian responses to very difficult issues. But let me say this. Loving the law is a good thing. And so is loving mercy. Let's figure out how to do it. Let's figure out how to walk together in it. But know, know that we are dogs who eat well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you love us, that you are uh, the father of Abraham and the father of this Canaanite woman as well. That you, because of Abraham's faith, reckoned that faith as righteousness. And because of this Syrophoenician woman, you reckoned her faith as righteousness and helped her be healed and her daughter be healed as well. Lord, you are kind upon kind upon kind. Help us now, redeemed dogs, eat at your table. In your name we pray. Amen.